Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. ESG, or Environmental Social Governance, promises to help the bottom line and the planet at the same time. Is it too good to be true? Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of an episode digging into that very question. From NPR and WBUR Boston, I'm David Folkenflik, and this is On Point. I would say TGIF, but is there anyone out there who really thinks the news will come to a rest today? It's been a stunning week of nonstop developments in the impeachment inquiry. House Democrats are sending out subpoenas and bringing in government officials for closed-door testimony. The president unleashes profanities and says he's the victim of a partisan crusade over his private request of a political favor from the Ukrainian president. Then on Thursday, Trump adds another request of another world power in full public view. China should start an investigation into the Biden. Because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with Ukraine. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff tells Republican lawmakers it's time for a gut check. If this conduct doesn't rise to the level uh, of the concern the founders have, what conduct does? The nation is divided, but a growing number of Americans support impeachment. Republican Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa is up for re-election. At a town hall back home, she faced a grilling from a constituent. Where is the line? When are you guys going to say enough and stand up and say, you know what, I'm not backing any of this? Where's the line for you? If you flipped your thinking on impeachment, why? Join us. Follow us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook at On Point Radio. With us from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, Susan Page. She's the Washington bureau chief of USA Today. She's also at work on a book about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Susan Page, welcome back to On Point and good timing on that book. <laughs> it's great to be with you, David. Thank you. Also in Washington, D.C. is CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, welcome to On Point. Hi. Thank you for having me. And from Hanover, New Hampshire, On Point News Analyst Jack Beatty joins us. Hello, Jack. Hello, David, Susan, and Caitlin. So we're going to start and devote much of this hour, not all of it, but much of this hour to the impeachment inquiry. Uh, You know, we will visit the latest. There are messages uh, released between – or a select number of messages released between top diplomats in Ukraine – Ukraine uh, it seems to be visiting the Biden investigation. There are questions of what the president has asked of the Chinese. We'll be digging more into that in a few minutes. It's also worth uh, pointing out that we're going to be looking at not only the president's actions, but questions surrounding some of the most powerful people in the executive branch who are now embroiled in this. We'll break that down over the hour. Let's list a few of them just to keep, keep you in mind of the cast of players. Uh, if you're keeping a score at home, uh, Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo, Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, Vice President uh, Mike Pence, and of course, the president's uh, lawyer and uh, uh, major figure uh, Rudy uh, Giuliani. Uh, I want to start perhaps uh, with a quick reminder of uh, what triggered all of this. This is about, of course, the impeachment inquiry. And, and let's be clear. There are a couple stages here, right? We've embarked on impeachment inquiry. That doesn't mean this will lead to an impeachment. An impeachment of House of Representatives, as we know, is like an indictment in a criminal process that would lead then to a trial in the Senate. The president would not be uh, removed from office simply because House uh, uh, representatives led by Democrats would decide to impeach him. However, this is 
Serious, serious stuff. And a reminder on what triggered all of this, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi formally blessed a full impeachment inquiry after the release of a rough transcript of President Trump's private conversation with the president of Ukraine. Recall that Trump had asked for a personal favor to dig into the activities of former Vice President Joe Biden and his son moments after talking about the prospect of American military aid to Ukraine. There were echoes of that dynamic on Thursday as uh, President Trump spoke openly to reporters about China on the White House lawn. I have a lot of options on China, but if they don't do what we want, we have tremendous, uh, tremendous power. What exactly did you hope Zelensky would do about the Biden after phone call? Well, I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Biden. It's a very simple answer. Uh, they should investigate the Bidens, because how does a company that's newly formed, and all these companies, if you look at, and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens. Because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. Uh, Caitlin Collins, uh, let's start with you. You know, the president was talking at the top of that clip. He said, I have a lot of options on China. If they don't do what we want, we have tremendous, tremendous power. He's talking about the sort of trade wars and trade fights uh, with the Chinese right there. And then he pivots to talking about the Chinese investigating the Bidens. CNN uh, is now reporting, your network is now reporting about a phone call that the president had with uh, the Chinese President Xi on June 18th. What is CNN reporting? Yeah. And the president said he hadn't spoken with the president of China so far about launching an investigation into the Bidens. But actually, we do know that he raised Joe Biden with the president of China during a phone call that they had over the summer in June. Now, it's not clear that during that phone call, the president suggested an investigation into Joe Biden. But he did bring him up, we're told, speaking not only about Biden, but also about Elizabeth Warren, another candidate who at that time was rising in the polls, seeing her stock really start to take off in this Democratic primary that we're watching play out, which is interesting on several levels, because, of course, it raises the question of what would be the national security justification for the president bringing up people who he could be running against for president for the presidency with the Chinese president. Of course, the president made that pretty clear yesterday because he made that remark about investigating the Bidens via China unprompted, we should note. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Susan Page, talk to me about that. You know, there's a, this, this famous thing among Washington journalists, the idea of the gaffe is when somebody in Washington says something he or she actually believes out loud. You know, it seems to me at the moment that there's an argument to me that a scandal is a behavior that is improper, possibly illegal, uh, being revealed to the public. In this case, this is the president doing something at least sim- seemingly similar uh, to what he did in private with the president of Ukraine, of Volodymyr Zelensky, seemingly just doing it in public on the White House lawn. What do you make? How serious is it that the president talks about this that specifically that quickly? And as Caitlin Collins points out, unprompted uh, after talking about you know, a trade war in which he's trying to win concessions from the Chinese. You know, David, I'm really struck by the, all the contrast we see 
with what happened with the long investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election. That was an investigation that took two years. It was conducted in secret. Throughout it, the president, President Trump denied collusion over and over again. This time, this scandal is not yet hit week two. We're in the first two weeks of it. The crucial documents are already out there, or crucial documents. Maybe there'll be more crucial documents. And the president is acknowledging collusion and defending it. Uh, so it is, it is quite the contrast with, uh, with the Russian investigation. And that is why we see such a different reaction from the Democrats in Congress and especially the Democratic leadership. That is why they are willing to move ahead with impeachment proceedings, which, as you know, Speaker Pelosi was very reluctant to do in the past. And that is why I think impeachment at this point is very, very likely to take place in the hmm. House, perhaps as soon as the end of this year. You know, speaking from somebody who's covered uh, a lot of Washington and a lot of scandals, Susan Page, uh, I, I'm struck by uh, what you just said. Uh, you're not saying, hey, look, Democrats have the House and therefore are going to stick it to Trump for having one of the most divisive presidencies in the modern era. You're saying this is all out there. These are serious charges. I think this is what you're saying. I want you to say it in your own words. But you're saying these are serious charges not denied, basically. Not denied and, in fact, defended. Uh, we saw the president once again this morning on Twitter defending uh, his action, saying he was, it's perfectly appropriate for him as president to take action against corruption, uh, raise corruption issues with, with foreign leaders. But this is incredibly serious. This is really a uh, – I think in the views of some independent analysts, a more serious presidential offense – than we saw in the Watergate scandal. Because here you have the president of the United States soliciting help from foreign leaders to meddle in our election. That's a violation of the law. That is a crime. Uh, and in the mind of Democrats, at least, it is clearly it clearly rises to high crimes and misdemeanors. So if Democrats find out not a single additional thing with their investigation, they believe at this point they have articles of impeachment that they are willing to bring forward that they believe are serious and justified. Jack Beatty, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the president's reaction to all this, and we will get to some of the key players in this uh, immediately following in our, in our next segment. The, the president has reacted a lot of this forcefully, angrily, even profanely. He swore about Democrats in a tweet. Uh, he retweeted a profane uh, – tweets of his fans about a Fox News host who had the temerity to ask about the substance of accusations against him. And then during an East Room news conference with the president of Finland on Wednesday, the president kind of blew up at Reuters White House correspondent Jeff Mason uh, when Mason asked a follow-up question. Go ahead, ask a question. The, the question, sir, was what did you want President Zelensky to do about Pre Vice President Biden and his son, Hunter? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you it was just a follow-up of what I just asked listen, you, sir. Listen, you ready? We have the president of Finland. Ask him a question. I have one for him. I just wanted to follow up on the one that I asked you, which did was, you hear what me? did you want Did you hear to... me? Yes, Ask sir. him a question. I, I will. But I've my... given you a long answer. Ask <laughs> this gentleman a question. Don't be rude. No, sir. I don't want to be rude. I just wanted you to have a chance to answer the question that I asked I've you. I've answered everything. It's a whole hoax. And you know who's playing into the hoax? People like you. Jack Beatty, tell us a little bit about this president's rhetoric and demeanor in the face of this crisis. Well, he was all but hysterical in that uh, in that session, and in an earlier one uh, uh, in the in the uh, in the Oval Office, uh, and and his rhetoric has gone to uh, 
new depths of, of viciousness and vitriol, even for him, the whistleblower, for example. Almost a spy, might be guilty of treason. What did we used to do to people who committed treason? Adam Schiff, treason. Uh, he, he, he says they're, they're part of a coup against him. He warns that it will take away what you voted for in the election, your Second Amendment rights included. And he retweets a Bible thumper's uh, musings about uh, impeachment leading to a civil war. And this, as Susan said, is in week two. Where will we be in week four and five? What will he be saying? And what Damage, lasting damage, will that do to American political culture? Will it poison the well of what Americans expect their president to be? And in fact, uh, you know, you talk about this, but uh, it's, uh, uh, of course, a constitutional process that that in fact is following procedure, whether or not one likes it or not. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, impeachment for the coming segment and some of the main figures in the uh, president's cabinet who are coming under additional scrutiny. Please stick around. We've got a lot uh, uh, going on here. I'm David Folkenflik, and this is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform that lets you find candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. A recent episode featured a debate about ESG, or environmental social governance. This sounds like more work than just putting your money into a social impact fund. It's a lot more work. Yeah. Anybody who thinks there's an easy solution here is either engaged in puffery, greenwash, or deceiving themselves. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of the episode. This is On Point. I'm David Folkenflik. We're talking about President Trump, his cabinet, the impeachment inquiry, and the new information unearthed during this high-stakes week in the news. You can join our conversations. Uh, what new uh, revelations have moved you one way or the other on this uh, topic? It's uh, all in motion. Follow us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook at On Point Radio. We have a panel of guests well-versed in the ways of Washington and the president. We've got Caitlin Collins. She's CNN's White House correspondent. Susan Page, Washington bureau chief for USA Today, and our own news analyst here at On Point, Jack. Jack Beattie with you. I want to play a clip of uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's uh, sort of gave her blessing and really kicked off the serious phase of this impeachment inquiry uh, uh, just at the end of September. She said she thinks President Trump is scared of the impeachment inquiry. She spoke Wednesday in an interview with ABC News's George Stephanopoulos. Did you hear the fear in his voice when you spoke with him on the phone last week? I saw the surprise in his voice that he didn't understand uh, that I thought what he did was wrong, uh, that he was undermining our national security, that he was undermining our Constitution by his actions, and he was undermining the integrity of our elections. He just didn't see it. That's uh, the House Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi. I want to take your calls and uh, hear you speak out a little bit. Let's take a call first from Detroit, Michigan. Chris, thanks for listening. Uh, What are your thoughts on all that's playing out? Well, 
My thoughts on this is, you know, first let's look at the facts of the matter. The facts of the matter is there's only been 45 people that have ever experienced the highest elected position in, in the United States, which is president. Nobody outside of those people understand truly what it is to be a president. Secondly, a lot of these individuals like Nancy Pelosi and the, the whole impeachment crew are lawyers and they're, they're, they're basically uh, trying to cater or, or try to basically um, solicit people's emotions towards certain things. So a lot of this is emotionally driven. It's the way I see it because she just, it's the clip you just played. She said that she felt that he was scared and it, it affected, you know, things that he did actually could uh, jeopardize national security. But all of this infighting in and of itself really seriously jeopardizes national security because we don't like, we technically don't know if, if what he did was for another reason that is really at a high classified level. We have no clue. Can There's I ask you one quick question? Chris, let me ask you one very quick question before I let you go because I want to take some other callers as well. You say that doing the, asking these questions and doing the inquiry, it sounds like you feel that that jeopardizes uh, national security. Briefly, why do you feel that that's the case? Well, if you ask yourself this question again, how many people on this planet actually know what it's like to be the president of the United States of America? Mm-hmm. There's only 45 of them. Mm-hmm. So the president of the United States has eyes only things that that we elect those presidents to do. It so we don't we, we couldn't analogy. we couldn't possibly know in some ways. I guess I'm hearing from you, Chris, uh, what it is that the president faces and, and why he reaches the choices he does in those moments. Thanks for your call. Thanks for your insight. I want to take this call now from Appleton, Wisconsin. Mark, thanks for listening. Way in here. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I disagree with the previous caller. Um, one, just quick point about Joe Biden. I think it's unfortunate because they are being successful in smearing his reputation, which is a disgrace. But regarding Nancy Pelosi, I think she's been incredibly wise. She has not been emotional. She's waited and perhaps knew something big would come out, something obvious would come out that would lead to impeachment. But she's waited until there was something that, that made it was clear to the American public, unlike the Mueller report, which which wasn't and which Barr was able to kind of obfuscate. But, but I think she's been really smart, and I think she's also going to be smart in making sure that this is done quickly and doesn't linger into the election next year. Okay. Thank you for that, Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, Susan Page, I want to uh, bring in the question of the uh, conduct of the Secretary of State. As the nation's chief diplomat, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been under scrutiny for his – own role in this uh, scandal. On Wednesday in a press conference, Pompeo confirmed that he actually had been himself on President Trump's July phone call uh, with the president of Ukraine. As for was I on the phone call, I was on the phone call. Uh, The phone call was in the context of now, I guess I've been the secretary of state for uh, coming on a year and a half. Um, I know precisely what the American policy is with respect to Ukraine. It's been remarkably consistent uh, and we will continue to try to drive those set of outcomes. Now, there was a remarkable interview not so many very uh, days before in ABC News with Martha Raddatz in which Pompeo basically said he couldn't respond to the allegations made by the whistleblower about this because he hadn't read the whistleblower's report. Turns out he was on the call. You're from Kansas. He's from Kansas, Susan Page. Uh, How serious is this for the secretary of state? Well, he he certainly – he didn't exactly say a lie in the Sunday interview, but he was not very transparent. He wasn't particularly – 
honest or forthcoming about the fact that he didn't need to read the whistleblower's report on the phone call because he had heard it in in real time. You know, we should note also that uh, Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, a Democrat, has been caught in a in a somewhat similar situation. He did an interview on CNN a couple of days ago in which he said that he hadn't talked to the whistleblower. It turns out he had talked to the whistleblower. His uh, staff had, right? Before. His well, I think he had also. He, I thought he himself had. Uh, but he no, I, actually, I think he had because then he apologized for not acknowledging that in the mm-hmm. scene interview. So we're mm-hmm. setting a very high standard here for public officials, as we should, that they should be honest uh, with uh, with Americans when they're talking about these important matters. You know, one thing to note about uh, Secretary of State Pompeo being on that phone call. Officials in previous White House say that is extremely unusual, that the Secretary of State does not customarily listen in when the president has a phone call with a foreign leader. Customarily, the national security advisor would be the person listening in. In this case, that would have been John Bolton, who was not listening in, because John Bolton at that moment was out of favor and, of course, then got pushed out of the job by President Trump. Uh, So Pompeo certainly emerges now as a central figure. I wonder if this scandal increases the possibility of somebody my friends and relatives in Kansas have been watching for, which is whether Pompeo will choose to run for an open Senate seat in Kansas next year. Maybe that's looking pretty good. Get out of the administration uh, before <laughs> things are, 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 are too rough. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the ABC interview. It seems to me the, the greater question in, involving Pompeo is whether there's, it's problematic that he was aware of this behavior that a number of folks within the national security or intelligence realms felt was itself problematic and aware of it and does not seem to have flagged it. Caitlin Collins, I want to play another clip for you uh, from Pompeo. You know, the committees that are undertaking this uh, impeachment uh, process want to hear from a lot of the folks within the State Department bureaucracy, the officials who are aware of what was going on. And Pompeo basically indicated real resistance to having his State Department officials testify. Uh, the three chairs of the uh, House committees involved warned that Pompeo might be involved in a, quote, blatant cover-up and a clear abuse of power, which itself sounds like it could be folded into impeachment charges at some point. Pompeo rejected their arguments in the same press conference at which uh, he had, we played a clip earlier. The response that I provided to them was one that acknowledged that we will, of course, do our constitutional duty to cooperate with uh, this co-equal branch, uh, but we are going to do so in a way that is consistent with the fundamental values of the American system, and we won't tolerate folks on Capitol Hill bullying, intimidating State Department employees. That's unacceptable, and it's not something that I'm going to permit to happen. Caitlin Collins, talk to me a little bit about this push and pull about the both about the specifics of Pompeo and also about the administration's general stance to the degree to which they intend to cooperate with this procedure. Yeah, he's saying he's not letting them go right now. He's not definitively saying that they're never going to go. But Democrats in turn are saying that he's covering up and that he's trying to intimidate witnesses in their inquiry into potentially impeachment. The administration's argument and what you should watch for today is our reporting shows they've drafted this letter that they potentially may send to Capitol Hill. They haven't made a final decision yet. But basically, it's daring the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to bring a vote to the House floor 
floor to vote formally for an impeachment inquiry. Democrats have said that's not something they have to do to start this investigation. Clearly, you've seen them acting like it's already happening. The White House is going to argue that until they do that, they're not going to turn over documents or make officials available. Now, of course, you can predict what the Capitol Hill response to that is going to be, that the White House is trying to stonewall. And one thing they may point to are these messages that we are now reading from Kurt Volker, the former special envoy to Ukraine, who, of course, is on Capitol Hill for about nine hours yesterday, released these messages between he and other top diplomats from the United States talking about this predicament that they were in between the back and forth with Ukraine and the United States and whether or not they were threatening to withhold aid money. So Democrats may try to argue that that's the reason Pompeo doesn't want these officials on Capitol Hill. But of course, Kurt Volker was able to make his way up there because he resigned last week after he found himself at the middle of this scandal. I want to read a little bit. This is a partial excerpt of some of the texts that were released by House Democrats. They say that they will release all of the texts at a certain point once it, they've been scrubbed for national security uh, concerns to make sure they don't reveal anything too much. But there was something uh, in which uh, William Taylor, the top American diplomat in Ukraine, wrote on September 9th. He, he wrote, as I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help. With a political campaign, meaning the predicating the, this granting hundreds of millions of dollars in, in military sense to Ukraine on the basis of whether or not there's uh, aid given to the president's uh, search for information on the Bidens in Ukraine. Uh, Gordon D. Sondland was the U.S. ambassador to the European Union at the time. He responded uh, a little fr- frostily. The president has been crystal clear, no quid pros of any qu- kind. And he then said, let's not uh, – uh, let, let's talk by phone if we need to discuss this further. The date is important. I believe it's the same date on which the inspector general uh, for the intelligence communities communicated to uh, uh, House Democrats that there had been this whistleblower report and information about that. So it's it's all taking place in this interesting time predicate. Uh, Jack Beatty, before we take another couple of calls, I wanted to get to the fact that there is an expansion of concern about various figures, uh, both uh, uh, globally and within the uh, – within the cabinet itself. We heard a little bit from Caitlin Collins about the questions uh, being posed to Chinese leaders. Uh, after the New York Times uh, reported that uh, uh, President Trump had asked the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to help uh, U.S. Attorney General William Barr uh, discredit the origins of the Mueller investigation, a Democratic Congressman Jerry Connolly of Virginia spoke out. Here's what he told CNN. Quite frankly, I think the Attorney General needs to resign He is no longer even pretending to be objective in uh, the uh, meeting out of justice in the United States. He is nothing but a private uh, investigator and attorney for Donald J. Trump, and that's not his constitutional role. Uh, Congressman Connolly is a member of the House Oversight Committee, also a member of the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee. Both of them are having some jurisdiction uh, in, in, in some of these proceedings. Uh, Jack Beatty, you know, we know that uh, the attorney general uh, sought to speak with European officials as well. Uh, and you know, he's commissioned a review of uh, what led up to the federal investigation uh, of the question of uh, Russian collusion on the 2016 elections and the hacking of emails of Democrats and all that. Um, how would you characterize uh, the attorney general's role uh, in the issues that are at play currently? Well, I think uh, I, I think the, the the congressman gets it. Uh, he's acting as a sort of 
uh, a, an understated uh, behind the scenes Rudy Giuliani. He's the president's uh, man. He's not acting uh, as the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. And he's participating in that uh, effort in, um, in Australia in what is in, in effect and in fact the corruption of American uh, foreign policy. Saying to a foreign country, give me, you know, you want good relations with us, come up, come up with some dirt. That's the sign that's now hanging out there to Australia, to China, to Ukraine, to whoever wants a favor. And everybody wants a favor from the president. Give me dirt and you'll get what you want. And, and, the, and the attorney general Rather than uh, decrying this, rather than telling the president you can't do that, is is complicit in it. I'd like to take a couple of calls now. Let's go first to Gabe from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Gabe, what does all this make you think about? Hey, David. Um, so, you know, I'm calling because uh, it's clear that Trump and the Republicans' defense to getting caught red-handed committing treason is propaganda, right? I mean, we, we've seen this all along, but we saw it, you know, at least twice yesterday, trying to normalize getting dirt uh, on an opponent from a foreign country as if it's, you know, something that happens every day when, in fact, it's treason. And then we also saw that after Volcker spoke, there was a Republican congressman who I heard on uh, All Things Considered who came out and said there was nothing he heard that corroborated uh, the uh, in, in, in impeachment. And then this morning, we hear the text. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's a smoking gun, but the gun is warm. You know, it, it definitely uh, backs up the Democrats. And so he lied. And for about 18 hours, you know, I, along with, you know, many, many others, because of what we heard on uh, NPR, uh, you know, thought, hey, maybe there wasn't anything. And in that sense, the propaganda they're putting out was allowed to succeed. And so my call is really about, you know, in light of all this, in light of what happened after the bar summary, um, is there a way in which maybe, you know, the really good people at uh, NPR and other good or- organizations are inadvertently being manipulated into putting out propaganda? And, you know, what can be done about it? And I'll just, just to close, you know, when like Sasha Pfeiffer investigated the Catholic Church, it wasn't like the church says this, the victims say this, who knows, you decide. It's like, no, what is the truth? What is the truth? And they oh. got the truth, and that helped a lot of people. So and I, I encourage I, you guys to look at your postulates. Thank you, Gabe. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Always uh, fair to have the media checked. I'm proud to say Sasha is now a part of NPR's uh, investigative team and a part of uh, NPR News. Uh, I think, you know, all kinds of figures are spinning like a globe on a desk. And at the same time, uh, you know, we're required to – both project what people have to say about what's happening and also do our own independent uh, inquiry on this. I want to turn briefly before the end of the segment uh, to another key figure, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, he's denied any wrongdoing by the president. Here he spoke to Arizona to reporters in Arizona yesterday. Anyone that looks at the president's transcript uh, will see that the president was raising issues that were appropriate, that were genuine interest to the American people. And uh, yet the vice president himself has landed in the soup too. Caitlin Collins, uh, Vice President Pence had traveled to meet Ukrainian officials. His office has repeatedly denied that the vice president was aware of any attempts to pressure the country, although he allegedly did receive a memo describing the July 25th phone call prior to meeting with the Ukrainian president last month. How serious is Pence uh, caught up in this stuff? Well, it's raising a lot of questions because, of course, he was sent in the president's place 
Yes, at the last minute, but to this trip. Obviously, this trip was coming at a critically important time when they were discussing what to do with that military aid. So the questions we have and that we've been posing to the vice president's office is how did he not know that the president pressed the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden during that call, a call that, yes, as you noted, our sources are telling us there was a transcript of it in the vice president's briefing book. So there are questions about maybe he didn't read it. Maybe his national security advisor, Keith Kellogg, who was on that call, did not later inform the vice president about what had transpired during that call. Exactly. So that's raising so many questions about his role. Fascinating. Well, uh, we are going to take a few more of your calls about this impeachment process. But coming up, we'll talk a bit about how all this affects the 2020 presidential election, as well as some developments there. Me, I'm David Folkenflik, and this is On Point. Three decades ago, Sterling Cuneo was an angry, violent teenager facing life without parole. Today, he's a celebrated author and a peacemaker. His journey is a window into how violence is perpetuated in this country, but it's also a story about how people change. There's no better example of a person who's prepared to be released. And about people changing the system. We have to reimagine what we're doing, because what we're doing isn't working. This is Cell Blocks to Mountaintops, a podcast and video series. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This is On Point. I'm NPR media correspondent David Folkenflik. In other news this week, in Dallas, a police officer receives a 10-year murder sentence for killing her neighbor in his own apartment. A judge decides in Harvard's favor in an affirmative action case that is likely to be appealed. And Grammy Award-winning operatic soprano Jesse Norman dies at the age of 74. We'll be turning to developments in the 2020 election in a few minutes. Follow us on the Twitters and Facebooks at On Point Radio. Have a terrific panel of guests with me today. Susan Page is Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Caitlin Collins, White House Correspondent for CNN, is with us, as is On Point's own news analyst, Jack Beatty. I want to briefly uh, offer a little fact check. We try to do that. Our last caller encouraged us to be careful with our facts. Uh, everything, uh, every evidence I've seen has shown that uh, uh, House Intelligence Committee uh, Chairman Adam Schiff has not spoken directly with the whistleblower, but that one of his aides did, uh, encouraging him to follow sort of the whistleblower's protocol. Uh, uh, Schiff did apparently deny that the committee had spoken to the whistleblower in a September 17th interview with Morning Joe over on MSNBC, and that was uh, false. He uh, uh, said in recent days that he regretted uh, offering misleading account of uh, actions there. I want to take a few calls uh, from from some of our listeners. You guys are calling in. Appreciate your thoughts on this. Let's take uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Doug's calling in. Thanks for listening. Hi, David. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to point out a couple of double standards real quick. Um, had President Obama had a private phone call with the Ukrainian president regarding a political opponent, I'm sure Trump's base as well as the rest of the Republicans would have been in a frenzy about it. Um, And then the second one, while he's investigating um, Hunter Biden, Trump's kids are also still profiting off of the presidency. Um, Ivanka Trump uh, having approved uh, patents from Chinese companies, including um, voting machines, I believe. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just I just believe it's uh, you know, I can't believe the double standard here, how Trump's base is okay with Donald Trump doing all this. But Had it been President Obama or any other Democrat, I'm sure they would have had a lot of issues with it. And I'll take my comments off here. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, 
Let me go to Susan Page. Susan, USA Today did a poll uh, talking a little bit about uh, about people's thoughts on this. NPR had done a poll, I guess, earlier uh, some days ago at the end of uh, September. What are you guys finding in terms of where public sentiment is on this and the degree to which it's shifted if it has in, in recent days or weeks? David, first, let me apologize. The error that you pointed out was mine. I apologize for that on both whether Adam Schiff directly had talked to the whistleblower. And also, I got the network wrong, for which MSNBC will probably be angry. So it was on MSNBC, not on on CNN. Uh, and thank you for correcting that in real time. This I is live, agree. you know, live yes. radio. It's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, as I sometimes describe it, deadline poetry. It happens. Yes. Uh, right. But appreciative, so, appreciative of pre- that. I appreciate you I appreciate you correcting it. Let me talk about what we found in our polling when it comes to attitudes toward impeachment. Uh, in the polling we've done for the past two years, we've seen a real public reluctance to impeach. A poll we did in, in June found by two to one, Americans did not think the House should vote to impeach President Trump. But we did a poll this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and we found by 45 percent to 38 percent, Americans thought they, that President Trump should be impeached, that the House should vote articles of impeachment on President Trump. So that is a – it's not a majority, but it's a plurality, and it is a significant shift in public opinion before we've had uh, any public hearings, for instance, before we've had the case really laid out. That just shows you how different this is from the situation that we saw before. And, you know, we had an earlier caller um, who talked about uh, Speaker Pelosi's role saying – it was Mark from Appleton – Wisconsin saying maybe she was waiting because she knew something big was going to come out. I actually think that that the House Democrats had pretty much decided the moment for impeachment had passed with the Mueller report coming out, Mueller's testimony not doing what some Democrats had hoped it would do. I think this was a surprise to them, as I think it's been to the White House, that something has come out at this late hour uh, in the year before an election that they think really propels them toward impeachment. I want to take a call now uh, from Winooski. Oh, yeah, Jack Beatty, please. I, I, I just want to point out that while uh, that, that USA Today poll shows growing support for impeachment, the director of the Monmouth poll this week said the number of Republicans who said Trump's behavior was appropriate went up last week. Yes. You know, we're seeing the same thing we see on attitudes toward the economy. You know, people used to say the economy is good or bad based on whether the economy was good or bad. Now we see people in response to polls say the economy is good and bad based on whether they support the president who happens to be in charge now. And so we're seeing Republicans consolidate uh, behind the president on some aspects of this. Although I will say in, in our poll, we said if the president encouraged the president of Ukraine to investigate his political rival, would that be an abuse of power? And 30 percent of Republicans said yes. That seems to me to be a significant number. Huh. So these are these are in some ways you're seeing some solidification of support for the president, but also there are people who are poised to, to change. Some people are poised to change their minds who are within the Republican Party. I want to take a quick call now from I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Colton Winooski, Vermont. Colton, thanks for joining us. Yep. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Um, so my comment stems specifically about just the, the, the process of what the tipping point of the impeachment itself is, because I feel like. This is a very odd situation to be putting into impeachment. I think that there are a lot more issues that could have been investigated, such as the emoluments or his involvement with Saudi Arabia's conflict with Yemen. And I I, I think the problem is that there is some truth to the situation that he's trying to find more details about, because we we did find that uh, Joe Biden's family was 
taking money directly from his interests. And his son was taking $50,000 a month from a Ukrainian energy company when he had no experience. But I, I think I think that there's a there, there there's a lot more we could be adding into this investigation that that could that could not only you know make the investigation more legitimate but also bring light to who would normally be Trump voters voters and uh, and seeing like kind of the deeper things that he's been involved in. Okay, well let me let me throw that to to our folks, Colton. Thank you for raising that, Jack Beatty. Why do you think this is what did it? You know, I think uh, I mean we have a we have a transcript. We have the president on a on a phone call. We have a an implicit uh, quid pro quo. It's right there. You don't have to go into any uh, you know acrobatics of forensics explaining what uh, obstruction of justice is and so on. And it's and and that seems to be what the speaker likes about it. That it is um, you know there's a kind of intellectual skywriting about it. It's right up there you can see the president it's and now we saw him coming you know essentially self-impeaching himself yesterday saying hey china what have you got on our guy Uh, i'm wondering susan is that your reading of it the speaker just sees this as so clear that's right she was uh, of course famously reluctant to pursue impeachment she thought it was um divisive for the country and probably politically unhelpful for democrats next year Uh, but i think she saw this particular occasion this easy to understand situation. And with the documentation already out that the president asked a foreign leader to meddle in our election, that that was just a bridge too far. Caitlin Collins, uh, I want to pursue the point. In his testimony, former special envoy to UK, Kurt Volker, provided pages of these text messages and other documents that showed some senior State Department officials were strongly concerned that the administration was making aid to the Ukraine contingent on efforts to help the president's reelection campaign. While Democrats found the messages damning, not all Republicans did. Here's how New York's Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin reacted to the hearing, uh, to, to, to the behind uh, closed doors testimony. When he says that President Trump was asking President Zelensky to manufacture dirt on the Bidens, today blows a hole in that argument. When you're making the claim uh, that the the president was asking for a quid pro quo uh, with President Zelensky, today is blowing a massive hole in the middle of of that allegation. Caitlin Collins. Tell me a little bit about how uh, conclusive uh, that ex- concern expressed by the Democrat is being taken uh, by folks that you talk to within the administration. And then I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Colton's – the second half of Colton's question. Yeah. Well, the White House is watching this closely, but listening to Lee Zeldin there is really interesting because we are getting two wildly different versions of what transpired yesterday. Of course, Republicans say that it blows a hole into this whole dynamic that the president was asking for an investigation into his political opponent in exchange for military aid. Democrats who were in there say it only backs up their theory and or their what they've accused the president of doing. You read these messages. This isn't just a conversation happening between Democrats and Republicans. These messages showed this was a conversation and debate happening within the top levels of the U.S. government, people who work for Donald Trump, including these top envoys to Ukraine. And that is why what Bill Taylor said is so important here, because he was the one who you read those messages and he becomes increasingly exasperated, believing that is exactly what's going on. And then you see officials be candid with him at the beginning, the other ones he's conversing with. Then later on toward the end, they say, 
like they knew this was going to become public. No, the president was not asking for any quid pro quo. This is all incorrect. What you're alleging is wrong. It's really interesting to see what Bill Taylor, this guy who is well-versed in Ukrainian politics, a career diplomat, Vietnam veteran, how he saw things transpiring and what his biggest fears were. Caitlin Collins, it's also going to, you know, I'd like to turn now to the 2020 race. Uh, There are a couple of developments this week, but it seems to me as though this is at once hanging over the 2020 race. And yet, while the candidates have basically all denounced Trump, they're trying to run it on other issues. How central, how much will this absorb the oxygen from the race? How much will this define the terrain on which they run? I think that those Democrats who are running for president have a concern that this could potentially backfire. I think most of them do think that the president should be impeached, and you've heard them say so um, to varying degrees. But of course, they don't want to run on that. They want to stick to what Nancy Pelosi has been saying for the last several months, run on the kitchen sink issues that American people care about, health care, economic stagnation, jobs, those kinds of things that people care about. They want to focus on that. And I think that is what you're going to hear from them until they see those poll numbers, that impeachment approval rise. That could change over the next few weeks. It'll be a question to see just how quickly it changes, if it's moving as fast as these Democrats are with this investigation, this impeachment inquiry. I think they are essentially playing it safe until they make it to that point. It occurs to me, Republicans who have been talking a little bit about, uh, well, you know, if the alternative, if for some reason the president were removed, as Mike Pence said, uh, you know, if, if he starts getting embroiled in this, it becomes a little more delicate on the Republican side as well. Susan Page, we also had news this week of the health of uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, one of the top candidates uh, for the Democratic nomination. He came off the campaign trail, but he had, uh, I guess, stents put in, uh, had a heart procedure, uh, uh, and yet his campaign is saying that he'll be back in the debates uh, in, in just a few days. Um, how serious is this for a Sanders candidacy? How much do you think it, it shakes up the, the nature of the dynamic on the Democratic side? Well, it does underscore Sanders' age and also Biden's age. They're both in their 70s. In fact, Elizabeth Warren is 72. And, of course, President Trump is in his 70s as well. So we really have a a race that features a fair number of people who are of an age that would once have been seen as too old to run for president. So for Senator Sanders, I think it's important that he make the debate stage uh, next week. Is it next week? It's October 15th. So... Um, that he be on the debate stage, that he look vigorous. Uh, I think it, it, people will be watching to see how he looks and how uh, uh, vit- how much vitality he seems to have, uh, because this you know running for president is is pretty grueling and it's not it's it's uh, it's there's an expect there's a desire among Democrats to make sure that they nominate a candidate who can do well against President Trump. When you talk to Democrats, that is their number one concern when they look at this big presidential field. So it's important for all these candidates, including Senator Sanders, to demonstrate that they would do well, for, for instance, in a debate against the president. Warren, I think 70 rather than 72, although she'll be that age when she's president. But I guess she's leading the youth movement of the leading candidates at the age of 70 uh, right now. I want to take a call quickly, and it would be quickly, but from uh, Bachman is calling from Charlotte, South Carolina. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, weigh in here. Yeah. Yes. Hi, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I'm a Trump supporter in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, my question is to the panel is uh, why the the media is not raising an issue about the Joe Biden's son's uh, activity and uh, uh, using his influence of his father to get the, you know, 
benefit his privacy. The position and another question is that the... Well, yes, let me let do this, Bachman. Bachman, I apologize, but I'm going to throw that question to them. We've only got about two minutes left in the show. Let's take that to you. Caitlin Collins, how serious is the uh, Joe Biden, uh, the allegations against him and his son? We've got about a minute and a half here. Uh, and how seriously should the press be, press be treating it in light of the news that is also uh, consuming the political landscape? I think the press should obviously take any accusation of this level of people abusing or misusing their office seriously. That has not been the case so far with Joe Biden to the extent of the allegations that the president and his allies are making. I do get the point that if a wrongdoing is accused against a Democrat or Republican, it should definitely be looked at. But with Joe Biden, there is no evidence that he misused his office as vice president to help his son benefit. And the arguments that you've seen the president and his attorney make about Hunter Biden sitting on the board of this energy company in Ukraine talking about this investigation and this prosecutor. Actually, CNN found out uh, yesterday there were these Republicans who at the time praised Joe Biden for what he said about that Ukrainian prosecutor and about corruption in Ukraine. They said that at the time because they all pretty much universally agreed that, yes, this prosecutor was corrupt and did need to be removed from office. And then the investigation into the company of the board that Hunter Biden sat on was dormant at the time. So you have to keep those things in mind when you're listening to the arguments that the president and, is making. And Caitlin, last 15 seconds, uh, tell us, is this something that's going to define Joe Biden's candidacy as he runs for the top uh, office in the land? The president has been a very effective messenger with things like this in the past. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do so now. That's something that is still to be determined. Even bigger megaphone than he had in 2016. Those are the words uh, ending our show from Caitlin Collins. She's White House correspondent for CNN. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you. And Susan Page, White, uh, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today, a biographer uh, to come of, uh, of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Thanks for making time for us today, Susan. Hey, thank you, David. And on Point Zone, news analyst Jack Beatty. Have a great weekend, Jack. Thank you, David. You can continue the conversation, get the On Point podcast at our website, onpointradio.org. You can follow us on Twitters and Facebook at On Point Radio. On Point's produced by Anna Bauman, Justine Down, Mylene Amato, Stefano Katsonis, Allison Poli, James Ross, Dory Scheimer, Alex Schroeder, Grace Tatter, and Adam Waller, with help from Sharif Campbell, Jeffrey Lyon, David Marino, and Sydney Wertheim. Our executive producer is Karen Schiffman. Me, I'm David Folkenflick, and this is On Point. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Listen on for a preview of one of the episodes. Can Profit Motive Save the Planet? Is a company that takes the climate into account a better investment? How about one that pays workers a living wage and champions transparency and board diversity? That's the idea of ESG, or Environmental Social Governance. Sounds like a wonderful story. You can make more money, you can save the planet at the same time. Almost no one is going to turn that down. It's a story that Andy King of Questrom and Viet Hennish of the Wharton School challenged during a recent event at Questrom. Professor King played the critic, who says these are problems for regulation to solve, not markets. As a famous economist said to me, you can't fix externalities with the profit motive, because the profit motive is not linked to externalities. Externalities are the byproduct of pursuing profits. So you can't fix them by getting people to even look harder at profits. Meanwhile, Veet emphasized that ESG can be an important part of the solution. Regulation matters, and we need better regulation. And we need to reallocate trillions of dollars of capital over time 
to the climate transition alone, forgetting social justice, racial justice, and other ESG issues. We're going to need the profit motive for that. No government regulation is going to reallocate tens of trillions of dollars of capital alone. It's going to be investors who are looking at current government regulation and future government regulation and trying to connect the dots. Find the full episode by searching for Is Business Broken wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about the Mayrotra Institute for Business, Markets, and Society at ibms.bu.edu.